one of, if not my best friend, we met several years ago uh, playing video games online, is from a large city in the Russian Far East. He doesn't usually follow politics much, um, but this has changed his perspective on it. Um, it's perked him up. He's now looking for ways to get a work visa in other countries. He's looking for ways to leave the country. And I get the impression it's far from just him. In Russia, you can now receive up to 15 years in prison for publicly opposing the war in Ukraine, or for even calling it a war to begin with. That's according to a new censorship law that Kremlin passed on Friday. It's part of a larger effort to control the narrative of the war inside and outside of Russia. Several news organizations, including the BBC, CBS, and ABC, have suspended reporting in Russia over safety concerns, and a number of Russian independent news organizations have also ceased operations. NPR says it will continue to assess what the new law means for its operations in the country. The law doesn't only impact traditional media. Russia blocked access to Facebook and Twitter in retaliation for removing content by the Russian-backed media outlets Russia Today, or RT, The law doesn't only impact traditional media. Russia blocked access to Facebook and Twitter in retaliation for removing content by the Russian-backed media outlets Russia Today, or RT, and Sputnik. RT America ceased production and laid off all its employees. This comes as the media group faces an exodus of employees after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. After the break, we'll dive deeper into President Putin's censorship campaign. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. A reminder to have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Over this last year and a half, the world's been through a lot. So on this season of the StoryCorps podcast, we'll hear stories reminding us that even when times are hard, we can still begin again. Listen to our new season wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us today is Johnny Tickle. He worked for RT in Moscow and resigned on the day Russia invaded Ukraine. He joins me now from Istanbul, Turkey. Johnny, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me on. And we should note we reached out to RT News for comment but didn't hear back. Now, Johnny, you lived in Moscow for four years and worked for RT for two. How did you end up at the organization? Um, I was approached by a guy who later became my boss who told me that RT was looking to improve, to become more professional, because it had taken a serious reputational hit after 2014 and Crimea. So it was looking to employ some Western people, some English native speakers who were a little more sensible than the people they'd had 
previously. So we're looking to become more of a Russian version of uh, BBC almost. How much journalism experience did you have prior to taking that role? I had zero journalism experience, but I did uh, study Russian in university. So I had good knowledge of Russia, Russian studies, but no actual uh, professional journalism experience. How much did you know about the organization before you started working there? Uh, I knew I knew enough. I knew what the reputation was worldwide. I knew some of the stuff it said in the past, but I also knew that lots of the people who worked there were young, ambitious people. Not many people go into journalism to become propagandists. Many people go into journalism because they want to make a difference, want to uh, change the world. And the people I met when I was interviewing there, the people I met in the office there, they were the same. Um, so I was actually pretty optimistic about the future of the organization. Once you started working at RT, how did you think or experience its relationship to the Russian government? It didn't touch me at all. The only thing we were really told to do a lot was maintain a lot of balance. So I can give an example. If I was reporting on some criticism of the government uh, by an opposition figure, I was always expected to add the opinion of uh, a pro-government person as well. So there was always this like obsession, maybe balance of balance sake. If there was ever going to be some criticism of the government, there had to be a balanced point of view as well. That's really the only time it really touched me. And when you were reporting and doing these stories, were there times when you pushed back on this idea that the reporting you were doing was was imbalanced in some way because it did not include the the perspective of the Russian government. Well, yes, I pushed back quite regularly, and I was always allowed to do uh, basically what I wanted to do. In fact, before I joined, I was promised um, because of, of course I knew the reputation. I had concerns, so I said, "Look, I'm not going to write anything that I don't want to write." And they told me. No problem, because your name's on the top of the article, we understand. We won't press you to do anything you don't want to. We won't censor you. Um, so if I pushed back, maybe we'd have a little dis- disagreement, a little, maybe a little argument about it. But in the end, if I didn't want to write it, I didn't have to, because it was my name on the top of the article. Now, it's important to point out here, you're not a Russian citizen, correct? Right, that's correct. Do I'm you th- a British citizen. Do you think that in any way impacted the way your, your bosses uh, managed you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I know lots of Russian citizens who work there, and I don't think they are pressured either, but I think there's a form of self-censorship going on. They don't want to write the wrong thing. Because working at RT, while we didn't, we were, we were very rarely uh, given instructions from within the organization, maybe about an editorial line, we understand that we have to follow Russian law because we are living and working within Russia. So as you see now with this new law that could see journalis- journalists be put in prison for 15 years for writing the wrong thing about the uh, Russian aggression in Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, laws have always existed about journalism in Russia, and be, and we always had to follow them exactly. You resigned the day Russia invaded Ukraine, but as we mentioned, Russia invaded Crimea eight years ago. Why did you decide this was the moment to leave the organization? Well, eight years ago, I wasn't working there. I was working there only for for two years. And um, like I said uh, before, I was told that RT was trying to make a bit of a reputational change because it had this conspiratorial reputation. It had this reputation for just uncritically 
parroting the narratives of the Kremlin. And I was told, look, look, we understand that no savvy Western viewers actually believe it when you put out this kind of articles. The way that Russia can really put its point out into the world is it gives its point of view and it gives opposition point of views. It gives the views of regular Russian citizens. And that seemed to me like a really great vision for the future of the company. And I was happy to be a part of what I saw as potentially a changing and improving and a more professional organization. And I wonder for you, as you think about the two years you spent at RT, do you find yourself looking back at the work you did there and viewing it through a different lens? I'm personally very happy with the work I put out. Um, I was always very careful to be balanced. I was always very careful to put in uh, an opposition point of view whenever I could find one. And I was and I think I was lucky in that way because I was not a Russian citizen. I was a British citizen, still am. So I, was, I think I was given a lot more leeway in that. So personally, I'm happy with what I wrote. Of course, I'm not happy with some of the stuff the organization put out. But with my own personal output, with my name on the top, I think I can, I, I can definitely live with that. What do you think the media landscape in Russia looks like moving forward? Oh, it's, it's terrible. It's awful. There, are, there has been some amazing independent news outlets in Russia that are now either closing or being severely restricted. Uh, the state, state media there is going to only get more and more controlled. It's a massive shame because uh, I know Russian journalists who work for multiple different outlets in the country, and lots of them are very highly skilled. Uh, they have integrity, they're hardworking, and they want to be good journalists, and they're going to be stopped from doing that. It's, uh, it's a very sad state of affairs, and it's very worrying, actually, for the future of the truth in Russia. That's Johnny Tickle. He's a journalist based in Istanbul, Turkey. He's a former employee of RT or Russia Today. Johnny, thank you for speaking with us. No problem. Let's add some new voices. Peter Pomerantsev is a senior fellow at the SNF Agora Institute at Johns Hopkins University. He's also the author of This Is Not Propaganda, Adventures in the War Against Reality. Peter, it's great to have you back. Thank you for having me again. Also with us is Paul Farhi. He's a media reporter for The Washington Post. Paul, welcome. Thank you. And Anastasia Kruope. She's an assistant researcher in the Europe and Central Asia Division at Human Rights Watch. Anastasia, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Now, Anastasia and Paul, you were both listening into our conversation with Johnny Tickle. And I'm curious to hear your reaction to what he said. Paul, I'll come to you first. Well, I think it was a fairly accurate uh, summation about working at uh, RT and working uh, for the Russian government. If you'll notice uh, what he said, it's that the Russian government doesn't straight up push propaganda. It says a number of things that actually are true. Um, but it also pushes its own narratives on its listeners and viewers. And that's been pretty much the case with RT and Sputnik. Um, You will hear some things that are accurate, but that's just sort of the bread around the sandwich. The the meat of the sandwich is the Russian perspective. And the Russian perspective is that the U.S. typically is hypocritical or corrupt or lacks the moral standing to to criticize uh, Putin. And uh, that's primarily the thrust and the outreach of the Russian media agencies. 
Paul, I want to make sure we're clear about the difference between media outlets, which are state-owned versus state-funded, and then places like NPR, which get some money from the government but are independent. How are these all different, and where does Russia today fall on this spectrum? Yes, this is a kind of a Russian talking point that uh, our media agencies here in Russia are funded by the government and we are just the same as NPR, the BBC, uh, or and uh, Voice of America, for instance, which are in some ways funded by the government. The, the key difference, of course, is that RT and Sputnik are controlled by the government, that there is no firewall. There is no difference between what the government wants uh, its media agencies to report and what they actually do report. Uh, Whereas the BBC is editorially independent, Voice of America has literally a firewall, uh, not literally, but it has a a, a series of laws that prevent any government intrusion into the editorial process. So it's very much different and uh, very much more so independent uh, on the Western side than it is on the right. Russian side. Anastasia, last year, Russia really began doubling down on internet censorship. How does this new law or these new amendments fit into what's been unfolding in Russia for years now? Well, you're exactly right that it has been unfolding for years. And um, we saw it with the protests in support of Navalny last uh, winter when Navalny came back to Russia, uh, when authorities realized that whilst they have been um, sometimes successfully blocking numerous websites, they couldn't block posts on social media without blocking the entire social media platform. So they have been pressuring um, the platforms themselves to censor uh, for the state. And um, interestingly, they also introduced the, uh, the law that says that if social media platforms uh, discriminate against state mass media, then they could face blocking in Russia. So Russian authorities have also been um, sending letters to Facebook and YouTube and others saying, stop blocking um, this and that person who reports for Russian state media. Now, Paul, RT America ceased production last week and laid off all its employees. Walk us through what happened. Yes, well, it, it all fits in with the the whole story of the uh, invasion uh, into uh, Ukraine. Um, following the invasion, um, there was a, a strong pushback uh, by Western uh, news organizations, um, uh, and uh, the counter reaction by um, uh, by Putin himself. And so, uh, one of the measures taken against RT was the uh, blanking it out on various uh, American platforms. For instance, DirecTV got rid of RT. They had carried a channel with RT. Um, Roku had carried RT. Um, All of these uh, American platforms that made it available decided uh, because of the war that they would get rid of it. Um, That made RT America, which is based solely, it appears, in Washington, D.C., kind of a moot point. There is no American audience. There is no real way other than by the internet uh, to to get um, RT in America. So therefore, 
it really is a waste of money to continue uh, funding an operation that few Americans um, can actually see. And that's what uh, effectively the Russian media organization did. They said, let's take away the funding, not spend the money. Uh, we're producing work that no one is, is able to actually access. And uh, that was the end of RT America. We got this email from Ethan who says, Radio Sputnik broadcasts pro-Russian propaganda on 105.5 FM in the DMV area and on a rest and on a rest and based transmitter. It is essentially the same thing as RT Media. And Sputnik is a Russian-backed media organization still operating in the U.S., specifically in D.C. Paul, how is it that Sputnik has been able to survive, at least for now? Yes, because uh, Sputnik is on these two or th- two uh, stations in Washington D.C. under contract with a middleman, a broker called RM Broadcasting out of Florida. They contracted back in 2016 to get on the air. So far, no one has come after that contract uh, and and tried to push them off the air. Um, Sputnik is also heard on a. Uh, series of small stations in Kansas City. Uh, This is, again, the Kremlin's uh, attempt to get a a radio beachhead in America. It's been terribly unsuccessful. Um, They've spent uh, about a million plus a year uh, trying to sustain this radio operation. Uh, It's not clear that anybody in the Washington area actually listens to these stations, but very few people do. Uh, According to the last ratings uh, uh, book, they weren't even in the top 40 stations rated in in the Washington area. So it's really questionable uh, as to what they're actually accomplishing by having these stations here. And Assisi, as we've said, this new law doesn't just affect traditional media. Russia blocked access to Facebook and Twitter last week. And again, this was in retaliation against the platforms for removing content from RT and Sputnik. On Sunday, Netflix and TikTok preemptively suspended their services in Russia. What was the social media landscape in Russia before all this happened? How open was it even then? It depends on which kind of social media platform we're talking about. But I can definitely say that uh, for Russians, for many Russians, social media platforms became kind of the space of an actual uh, public discussion where the real topics could be brought up and discussed without fear of retaliation or being blocked for publishing something if you have a website. So it is, of course, heartbreaking that um, the authorities are currently blocking Twitter and Facebook, like you said. And we cannot exclude the possibility of further blockings of YouTube, etc. And there are even talks of sort of isolating Russian segment of the internet altogether, which is uh, very concerning. Um, so yeah, that's absolutely the case. Even average Russians are unfortunately suffering from um, the inability, in fact, to discuss and to say what they feel. We're discussing Russian censorship and propaganda during the war in Ukraine. Jeremy writes, I just got out of Russia last week. There are a lot of young people recruited into RT who don't have the foggiest idea of what journalism is. They think they're balanced. We'll hear more from you and our guests in just a moment. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have 
a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to betterhelp.com slash 1A. Over this last year and a half, the world's been through a lot. So on this season of the StoryCorps podcast, we'll hear stories reminding us that even when times are hard, we can still begin again. Listen to our new season wherever you get your podcasts. We're discussing Russian censorship and propaganda during the war in Ukraine. We got this message from Sam who says, I'm not even sure why we would want to shut down any Russian media, even if it's propaganda. American citizens should be wise enough to tell the difference between the truth and fake news. We also need to be exposed to other media outlets. Paul, I I want to come to you first on this because we've had some issue here in the U.S. with people believing lies about the last presidential election. What's your response to Sam? Well, there's some truth to that. Um, we are a pluralistic society. We value all kinds of different sources of information. Uh, perhaps the real issue is labeling it properly so that you know what you are getting. Um, back in 2018, the Justice Department went after Sputnik and uh, basically said, you are a foreign agent. This is a result of uh, Russia's meddling in the 2016 election and uh, forced them to register under FARA, which is the Foreign Agents Registration Act, basically saying you must disclose that your funding is from directly from a foreign government, in this case the Kremlin, and uh, also disclose on the air. Uh, if you'll listen to Radio Sputnik here in uh, Washington, you'll hear a broadcast of about five seconds at the top of every hour disclosing that it comes, the programming comes from uh, a, an agency that most Americans have never heard of it. It's called Russia Sugudnaya, um, which means Russia Today. Um, that's a bit cryptic, but it basically is an attempt to tell people, listen, here's what you're getting, uh, know the sourcing, and make your own decision about it. Let's play this message we got from Eric in Florida. I keep in touch with a handful of Ukrainian and Russian friends I've met over the years through traveling and skateboarding. And as the Ukraine crisis unfolded, I reached out to a handful of them and received entire essays about their opposition to Putin and disagreement with the government. But also just the explanation that for the last 10 or more years, the Russian state television has been promoting a narrative that's just so far differently told than what we're seeing when we have actual access to news and Internet. Eric, thanks for that message. Anastasia, what does some of the opposition to Russia's crackdown on censorship look right now? Look like right now? Um, well, already 13,000 people were arrested for protesting against war and in support of peace. Uh, despite the fact that people are well aware that uh, it's going to lead to an administrative offense, they're going to face some kind of liability. And over the weekend, people faced some severe brutality from the police and uh, reported ill treatment. So um, posting something on Instagram, posting somewhere else could also lead to a uh, administrative and potential crimin criminal liability. So the opposition right now looks uh, very oppressed, uh, opposition to the war in Ukraine. Uh, but people still keep on trying to speak up, even though sometimes they have to resort to sort of more discreet ways of opposing it. So wearing um, a ribbon in the colors of Ukrainian flag or clothing. However, it could also lead to the arrest. We, we saw that already. 
Well, Paul, it's important to note that Russian-backed media doesn't operate in a silo, and it, and it often draws upon Western media. Where do you see Russian media and U.S. media, specifically right-wing U.S. media, intersecting? Well, there is some overlap there. Uh, you will see Tucker Carlson show up on Russian state media, and uh, Rush, uh, Tucker Carlson, of course, being the most popular host on Fox News. Um, many of the pre-war talking points that you'd hear on Fox News did dovetail with what the Russian government was saying. So, of course, picking up on Western sources that agree with them is a pretty good strategy uh, to, to sell their point of view. Um, but, you know, the Russian government does what in the interests of the Russian government. It's a cherry-picking of uh, like Western media, and there's really not that much sympathy in the Western media uh, for the Russian government's point of view and for this uh, invasion of, of Ukraine. So they have to stretch themselves uh, to find that kind of thing. Um, I will say that a lot of the narrative that you'll hear on uh, Sputnik uh, sounds a bit like left-wing, very left-wing radio. If you didn't know what you were getting, you would think you were listening to um, a kind of standard conventional talk show. Um, there's a lot of criticism of the U.S. Uh, there's less criticism of Russia. But all in all, it's not a presentation that's so extreme that you listen to it and think to yourself, well, this must be coming out of the, the Kremlin. They will talk about uh, the hypocrisy of the U.S. in regard to uh, racial relations, to economic disparity, uh, to police violence, um, to you know many of the things that are covered in the mainstream media. Um, they will emphasize it, um, and they will place it in the context of where does the U.S. get off criticizing Russia when there are so many flaws in this society? And so that's kind of the thrust of, of what Sputnik does, which is to tell you, um, you know, the U.S. is in no position to be calling out uh, Russia for its actions. We recently spoke with Dmitry Valuev. He's a community organizer for the Free Russia Foundation. And here's what he said about polarization in Russia. We have two Russias, in, in a way. We have a Russia of People who are lost completely, who follow government's decisions blindly, but whose morale is very low and motivation is very low, and they're very disappointed by the way of life uh, they lead. And we have a lot of people who are completely, you know, the part of the West. You know, they they want freedom and democracy, and free press and freedom of associations in Russia. Anastasia, you lived in Moscow for many years. How do most Russians perceive Vladimir Putin? Well, it's very hard to say. It also depends on what kind of social bubble you kind of live in. Um, I don't think that a lot of people, especially amongst young people who want uh, a free, a better future, think a lot about Putin per se. Uh, they just want a better life. They just want... Uh, the ability to travel abroad, to get a good education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's hard for me to really say uh, how most of the people treat Putin uh, whilst he was living there especially. Uh, and what's important to understand these days is also that uh, because of the censorship in Russia, all the polls, all the opinions of, uh, um, you know, and stats on what people think are going to be controlled by the government. And it's impossible to find the... Uh, statistics on the way people really think, especially with regards to the war in Ukraine. Peter, for, for people who are watching this from a distance, what do you think we 
perhaps we don't quite understand about the way propaganda works in Russia that, that we should understand as, as we move ahead? Well, look, I think something that's really not focused on enough is that, is that this propaganda in Russia, which is really modeled on, on Nazi propaganda, its idea is to sort of uh, uh, take away the humanity of Russian opposition by calling them vermin uh, that need to be destroyed, taking away the humanity of Ukrainians by saying they don't exist by a state. So it's classic propaganda that dehumanizes the enemy in order to then repress, murder, and kill them. This, um, this propaganda is funded by us. Um, Western advertising is all over Russian state TV. It funds this propaganda. Um, adverts for, for washing up liquid and chewing gum. That's what funds it. Um, and let's go deeper. Um, the reason people watch Russian state TV isn't for the propaganda. They go to watch nice Hollywood movies and reality shows which are licensed uh, by Russian state TV. So Western production companies are paid by them. That's what is put on Russian TV. Very well produced with consultants from Western production companies. That's what reels the, the people in and then they stay for the war propaganda. So we pay for it, we enable it, we strengthen it. And it's also created on Western editing systems and Western multi-mixing channels and so on and so forth, which could be stopped with, you know, just if you don't send the next update to the Apple editing system that would really slow down this war propaganda and the murder that it causes. So we're really, you know, we're fussing on about RT that nobody watches and is a bit of a joke, when the real problem is that uh, our advertisers, our entertainment companies, and our technology companies are absolutely pivotal in paying for, creating, and enabling uh, war propaganda that is leading to the murder of many innocent people. Anastasia, your thoughts before we wrap up here. Uh, I think one important thing to see is, even though we say that uh, Russian propaganda doesn't care about the way it is perceived abroad that much, but we saw that whenever um, foreign social media platforms are labeling uh, certain pages as you know state-sponsored or affiliated with the state, or restrict access to uh, state Russian state media abroad, they get really, really uh, unhappy about it and they're very sensitive about it. So I think one of the things to understand is still that they do care about the way it is perceived abroad. And um, yeah. That's Anastasia Kruope. She's an assistant researcher in the Europe and Central Asia Division for Human Rights Watch. Peter Pomerantsev was also with us, author of This Is Not Propaganda, Adventures in the War Against Reality. And Paul Farhi, he's a media reporter for The Washington Post. Anastasia, Peter, Paul, thank you for your time. Today's producer was Haley Blassingame. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more soon. This is 1A.